Welcome one and all to episode 168 of the original Giraffe Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, uh, a little fireworks in your Ohio State Buckeye game, but uh, outside of that, not a ton of uh, shock this weekend, except that uh, Oklahoma's awful. (laughs) Yeah, for... Poor Rob, uh, we were talking about it off the air before we got started tonight, and we'll touch on it a little bit because we are going to uh, preview Oklahoma's opponent of, of this past weekend, the, the uh, TCU Horn Frogs, who absolutely rocked them. Uh, I was telling Rob, I didn't know until today that TCU's offensive coordinator was Lincoln Riley's brother, so that's an interesting wrinkle. Yeah, and it's you know, it's interesting how these guys work. Um but as you said, the it's it's gonna take a a couple classes for Oklahoma to recruit Venables guys. I mean, they just don't have that defensive firepower that, that they that he likes to work with at Clemson. Um but yeah, that w- that the the little little Riley coming out and putting it on Venables was was interesting, and then um, you had Dylan Gabriel getting hurt too. That didn't help things for uh, for the yeah. And, that, and what I mean, there's so many like concussion, like big concussions. Like I, you know, they're saying concussions in general are down, but like that was a dirty play, didn't you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. I, I don't like saying dirty too often because um, I, I, I'm not it's, saying it's in the, the player, heat. right, the player yep. themselves is dirty. I just thought it was like an unnecessary, I guess unnecessary is the better term to use. Yeah, some of these guys just play so uh, reckless out there and th- you end up getting these hits on these quarterbacks that are giving themselves up. But it, again, it's like in the split second here and there. And it can just—it's hard for big guys to stop their momentum. So uh, the only dirty play I saw was Crookshank drilling Ohio State's punter five yards out of bounds, and that's what you alluded to with the fireworks at the Ohio State Rutgers game. Shiano defending his guy, Ryan Day defending his guy. Ultimately, those guys hugged it out after the game, but for a while it looked like there was some bad blood brewing. Um, but I think they kind of worked it out. Uh, Day said the punter was not supposed to take off in that situation up that big. The Buckeyes were already up thirty nine points at that point. I, and we've anyway. seen a couple. Well, we've seen a couple of these in the last couple of weeks, and I mean, this isn't a hot take or anything like that. But we've seen uh, specialist punters, and then a kicker, and I can't remember which team it was, but a kicker got roughed on a on an extra point or a field goal. And then ensuing kickoff, he kicked an onside kick without his, <laughs> without his uh, coach being aware that it was happening. Yeah, well, this and, was a, definitely a play where Mirko, the Buckeyes punter, was uh, in, in under normal circumstances. He did exactly what he's supposed to do. That whole side of the field cleared out, trying to go after the punt, and he, he so he had you know clear green in front of him for all you know for about twenty yards. But you just don't do that. You know they didn't want him doing that up. By almost 40, 40. points. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in the so fourth just, quarter, right? Right. And like you said, it, it's kind of one of those like auto things like, oh, you see this, you do it. But also there's the reality, like you said, they got to be smarter with it. 
It's just interesting to see these uh these kickers and punters getting saucy, man. Like, <laughs> they gotta have I, their spotlight sometimes too. Well, I do. I mean, like obviously another conversation for another day. But I think like Pat McAfee. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the destroying guy uh, that does the YouTube channel. That was the kicker punter at 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 UCF back before they were allowed to make money. Oh, I remember um, that. Yeah. And uh, my kids, I mean, literally watch his stuff literally every single day of the week. Um, and so, like, I think not so much branding, but, like, they're, they're seeing that, like, hey, you don't have to be these milk toast guys that just, you know, or, or the quirky guys that wear the, you know, single bar face mask. Like, you can have some you can have some juice and some personality in your game. So The Scott but, players of the world have been replaced. Right, by the Pat with, McAfee's. Right, with some fun people. Um, yeah. But there were some big developments this weekend, and and obviously the biggest one to watch for, um, and I'll get to the, the first topic on the list in a second, but the biggest one to watch for is the Bryce Young shoulder injury. Um, basically kept him out for half a game. Our group text was wondering – what Ryan Day was doing, not allowing uh, CJ Shroud to kind of distance himself in that game with, uh, with young already having a bad game under his belt. And then you add in, you know, the potential of, you know, him missing a game now uh, that, you know, that could have widened the gap, so to speak a little bit in the terms of the Heisman race, but you know, Ryan Day, stayed stayed consistent stayed on the ground continued to kind of be methodically quick if that makes sense like the the ohio state team gets big plays but they're not they're not doing it like oregon did or like or like some teams do where they're you know get running a play in 10 12 seconds so but no, what are, you what's know, your Stroud, take? Go ahead. I was going to say Stroud had two touches, but really like a nondescript day. It was pretty windy in Ohio State. That might have played a part in uh, Stroud only getting the opportunities that he got. Um, and Mayan Williams was just running the ball like a beast. So I think that really weighed heavily on how, uh, on how Day called plays that day. What do you make of the – I mean, obviously, we have to find the, out the extent of the Bryce Young shoulder injury, but, like, is this going to play into the concerns of him being undersized, or is this a fluke one to you? Like, how, how would you grade this in terms of, uh, you know, red flags moving forward? I think it's going to play in, into it, and I think – and we'll, we're actually going to do a mock draft on Patreon this week. Uh, two bucks a month gets you that additional show. And that's this is going to come up during that mock draft. But I think you have seen some troubles with the smaller quarterbacks, Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Um, now you have an injury concern with Young, who's even smaller than those guys, at least in terms of his, uh, his frame. Yeah. Yeah, and and so uh, I th- I do think it's going to be a concern, and that's going to, you know, he, he they're saying he's day to day, so maybe he's going to actually be healthy enough to play this weekend, but uh, um, we don't know, 
and that kind of gets us into our our first topic our our uh, prime topic because the guy who the evaluators seem to be gravitating toward is the big guy yeah will levis uh is getting the talk and, and it was it's always ironic when that happens right todd mcshay said before their loss to Ole Miss that Will Levis is going to be the f- going in the first round and is the QB one on on some boards. Um, you know, there's there's a couple things to this. One, like you said, um, there's the size concern with Young. Two, the slow development of Justin Fields, the lack of development of of the late Dwayne Haskins is becoming a concern to some when they evaluate Ohio State quarterbacks. Fair or not, it's just, you know, it is what it is. Um, When you look at it from that perspective, Levis comes in, he'll be 24. Um, We say big, but it's not like he's like Josh Allen big, right? Like, he's, he's a well put together quarterback but he's by no means this hulking you know monster athlete of a man like he's he's good sized he's you know a good athlete but it's not like he is anything in terms of super unique at at 6'3 and 220 pounds he's just significantly bigger than Bryce Young and not playing at Ohio State in terms of CJ Stroud. I think Levis is pretty bulky. Uh I think he's gonna come in heavier than two twenty and we'll see how tall he is. They, they like you said they list him at six three. Um he's got a really I mean, they they technically arm. they technically list him at two twenty two, but I'm like, well I think he's bigger than that, don't you? I mean, you know what's really odd is that now coaching and and being close, um, even with high school quarterbacks that my sons play with or against, I don't think people realize how much the rib guards and back guard adds to the, like, sheer size of of the quarterback. Like, they, they generally look thicker than they are. Um, which is actually saying case though, he's, he's like known for being a weight room junkie. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, and that's one of the things I think McShay mentioned, right. The the work he puts in in the weight room. He, it was funny because McShay's whole, uh, spiel on Will Levis. It sounded like, remember when Emery hunt, uh, football game plan, he did that promo a few years ago and he had like, he was kind of goofing on how people evaluate quarterbacks and he had to, the scouting report and it was strengths, good handshake, uh, focused smile, looks you in the eye, means well, uh, moxie, grit, uh, and then it said weaknesses, throwing the football. <laughs> it's yeah. just, that's what McShay's whole thing was like. He's a leader. He's good in the weight room. He, he's you know he didn't mention anything about his throwing ability. Yeah, and and then he comes out and I mean. Obviously, K- Kentucky isn't 
a bastion of of football talent uh but he was I think there's two things. One, when you look at his numbers, he's very efficient, but he's not asked to to throw the ball as much as other guys are. Um, you know, you look at it like his game against Florida. He only threw the ball 24 times. Um, in this game against Mississippi, he only threw the ball 24 times. Now he had decent games, but it's not like it's not like other guys of his ilk where you see them throwing the ball 30 plus times a game um, consistently. And so that, that I do wonder like how they'll, because I mean, in the NFL, it's not super common to just throw the ball, you know, 20 to 25 times a game, unless you're playing for Kyle Shanahan, right? Or unless Justin Fields. Um, I think, you know, I haven't drilled down too deep. Uh, into the quarterbacks yet this year, but I I do think just anecdotally that they have him throwing it down the field a little bit more and not so many quick screens at or near the line of scrimmage. Uh, he doesn't have Wandale Robinson like he had last year. They do have a pretty strong running attack, and they got Chris Rodriguez back. And he didn't turn uh, – Levis did not turn the ball over this weekend, so that's something we mentioned um, that he's been a bit more turnover prone than these other quarterbacks, Young and and Stroud. So you see the appeal because the uh, evaluators, like you said, have question marks about these other guys for various reasons. So they're looking for the bigger, better deal. And right now it's Will Levis. And I think McShay is hearing from, you know, it's, it's a common thing. We've been, you know, we talked about it when the NFS scouting uh, things were leaked, oh, rankings were leaked over the summer that uh, Levis was ranked ahead of Stroud. And I think Young was ahead of him in those, but he was ahead. Levis was definitely ahead of Stroud in those rankings. The 2023 wide receiver class, what was expected to be the kind of the crown jewel, right, of the, uh, of the draft class, hasn't played out that way. And, and, you know, I think we should first mention that the guy that you – kind of liked from the beginning maybe even more and i mean he's the bolitnikoff winner so it's not like we're digging deep here but but you felt like jordan anderson jordan addison was under sold heading into this year and all he's done is produce since he's you know transferred to usc right i i think addison got undersold in favor of some of these other guys we're going to talk about and he's really one of the only couple of guys that we know like draft eligible wise from power five schools are really delivering early, you know, Addison 29 catches, uh, 442 yards in five games so far. So he's averaging about six catches for 90 yards or so per game. He's got six touchdowns in their first five games, pretty consistent with last year's pace, a little bit behind last year's pace, but uh, he's still in range of but having he, a similar type of season. But he also doesn't get to play as long now because he plays on a team that wins right. by six six touchdowns, right? They're spreading it a little bit more. You know, they've got some other guys to throw it to. Uh, so, Addison, to me, he, he looks like a first-round 
receiver, and I thought he was coming into the season too. He's obviously he's thin, but um, he's fast and he catches the ball, and he you know he can catch it intermediate, deep, however you want to mix him in. He's he's one of those guys. Uh, Zay Flowers is the other guy I wanted to mention as a guy who's delivering. He had a huge game this past weekend, five catches over 150 yards and two scores. And they've had, you know, Dracovic has been really inconsistent at quarterback there for BC. So Flowers, to to be putting up the numbers he has so far, 34 catches for 481 and five TDs. Another small, smaller guy, he's shorter than Addison. A little, he's also in the 175, 180 range, but another fast guy who can get down the field. Uh, it's really the rest of the class is in shambles because the, all the guys we were seeing first round or way too early mocks, those guys have not delivered at all for various reasons. Yeah, and so you know, you can start with even Jackson Smith and Jigba from, from your Ohio State, he's been you know just bothered by that hamstring injury and the reality is that they're in a position where it he doesn't have to come back um quickly i mean they're just so loaded at the position they just kind of moved along like he never existed which is which is you know maybe bad for his draft stock but also like one of those situations where you're like, well, Marvin Harrison Jr. looks like he's going to be a top five pick next year, right? Like, that, that, that's the difference. And he's so, not even the leading receiver. Mecca Buka is is uh, leading the way for for the Buckeyes in receiving yards and touchdowns. And uh, you know, I think Smith and Jigba, if he comes back the second half of the year and is playing like he played last year, obviously it's going to help the team. But uh, yeah, I think right now you'd say his stock is hurt just because he's not available to play. I do think Ohio State's being very, very cautious bringing him back because they did well, not need it, him for this stretch of games. And that's what I was going to say. That's the, that's the again, good and the bad is that they haven't needed him. So obviously some people are going to have a question about that, right? Like, oh, they don't yeah. even – like they don't even need him, but <laughs> – right. So, but I don't think that's fair. But but here's the thing. I think he is hurt, though, because normally you would not sit him against Michigan State. They've got Michigan State coming up this weekend, and I know Michigan State's kind of um, spiraling downward. But, but so desperate this week. I mean, you're right. They're spiraling, but they're also desperate. Yeah. And so, you know, like you said, if, if he's healthy, you'd want him out there. Um on the flip side, you've got two guys in, in Keishon Boutte and Quinton Johnston who look just like Jags at this point, right? Like, And we're not saying they are, but the way that they're producing this season, it really does look like it. Yeah, Boutte coming off a leg injury last year, he is sixth on the team in receiving yards. Only 11 catches for 97 yards. So what yards. you're saying is he's, he's getting Brian Kelly'd? It's unbelievable. He has no touchdowns. He's outwardly frustrated. And, uh, uh, again, Emory Hunt, he talked about this on the College Draft podcast with Ross Tucker. He said that his body language is just, uh, you know, out of this world. Like, he, he clearly is frustrated and angry out there. 
and it's affecting it seems to be affecting his play you know uh, I know Emery Couch that by saying he's not a body language expert I don't think any of us are but when you see a player out there stomping around and you know throwing his hands up it's it's difficult to watch and you know Boutte has a lot of talent I don't know how much of it is maybe him not being a hundred percent from that injury some of those sometimes it's you know it takes a year to get back but um, something to keep an eye on there was even a rumor after the first game that he was going to jump into the transfer portal he didn't end up doing that you know I did see after the game where he came up to a camera and said it was a good team win and good defense saying the right things but you have to wonder what's you know going on in his head it's impossible you know put yourself in his shoes it's impossible not to be frustrated that he's not being targeted more and um and Quentin Johnston although we haven't seen any of that type of frustration out of him you know you see TCU blowing teams out you see um quarterback Max Dugan throwing for 300 yards and and uh, Quentin Johnson Johnston is at 12 catches for 114 and no TDs on the season and he's his fifth fifth leading receiver on his team in receiving yards so what we don't know what's going on with these guys, but there seems to be. It's very unusual where two receivers that many people projected as first rounders or maybe early day two in Johnston's case, they're just kind of afterthoughts on their own team. So I wanted to go through the list, and I just pulled up something. So I, I mean, and I'm not going to even say where, where, you know, or anything like this, but. It's really interesting if you look at it, like you said, before the season started. Um, Smith and Jigba in Boutte, top 10. Um, then you've got Addison, Johnston, and then you've got a couple interesting ones. Josh Downs of North Carolina, who's missed uh, two games from the Tar Hills. But he came back this week against Virginia Tech, which isn't saying a whole lot right now um, in in the North Carolina win and and put up a big game, eight catches, 120 yards. And then the other one, Cedric Tillman, who's had an injury issue as well. And so when you when you factor in like Smith and Jigba downs. Tillman with the injuries and then Boutte and Johnston with the, you know, down play. You're talking about guys that, you know, you're talking about six receivers that were being talked about in the top 50 or so of the 2023 NFL draft. Obviously, so far, none of these injuries have been like huge. But you do have to wonder if they don't put up numbers or if they or if they struggle to get back and and produce what that does for them um smith and jigba is interesting because he's young and has you know a massive season but tillman is not young now he has that massive season at at tennessee but he wasn't you know he's not young downs is an interesting one because he's a he's a frosh ish uh or sorry he's a junior but and he had a big year last year um and so 
are these guys and and then obviously we know about Boutte's big you know freshman year are these guys in like solid enough one year wonders for you to take a shot on or is it would you like advise guys outside of Tillman who's what in like his fifth year already um, would you advise these guys to go back like how would you like just from a draft profile how would you look at it no I mean Addison for sure I think is in his final year Um, Tillman I would tell him to go with it he you know, he had a, a big year in the SEC last year, and he started out hot this year as well. Uh, Johnston, I think you almost have to wonder if he's got to come back, maybe even find a new, uh, find some new scenery because um, where he's falling now on the depth chart, although the guy who's, I think the kid who's leading their team in receiving yards is a senior, so maybe Johnston sticks around and becomes the guy uh, next year. Or maybe he, you know, breaks out later this year. We don't know yet. It's it's still fairly early, but we're a third of the way into this season for most of these teams, or maybe a little more than a third of the way. Um, I think Boutte is probably going to declare regardless because he does still have a lot of good will among draft nicks, but that's an interesting one to follow because I think he's there's going to be like a 50-50 split on what how teams feel about him. Some people will, will want to look back at that freshman year, and other people will say he's never shown he's come back healthy yet. So, again, he's got time to right the ship, and he's got some tough SEC defenses he's going to face. But for right now, uh, you don't like to see this. Uh, Smith and Jigba, you know, what's interesting about him is he's he could come out. You know, he had he set a bunch of records at Ohio State last year, but he also had the example in front of him of Olave, who – came back for his senior year and had a great year and ends up going 12th. Uh, what was he 11th overall in the draft? Yeah. 11th or 12th. Yeah. I think they went, the Buckeyes uh, went 10 and 11 and then Jameson Williams transfer from uh, Ohio state to Alabama went 12. So you see where, um, where Olave people said he was hurting himself coming back. He probably ended up helping himself and he's been a great rookie so far this year so um it's just, it's case by case nobody wants to we, we like to make blanket statements but i think some of these guys johnston is probably the only one i think would kind come has, back has to come back kind of thing yeah and and i wanted to say this too if you look at the receiving leaders other than the guys that we talked about addison and flowers who are actually kind of down the list the draft eligible receiving leaders in college football are largely coming from group of five schools. Yeah. Your boy, uh, Rasheed Rice. He's, he's Rasheed Rice is up there. Uh, Charlie Jones now from Purdue. He's up there, I think second in the country. So, uh, that is your leading power five receiver right now. And he's of course, uh, the transfer from Iowa, he's a smaller guy probably projects more as a slot guy, although he has blazing speed. Um, next on the list is, well, the week six previews, and we're going to kick it off with the game. Everybody had penciled in at the beginning of the season, week, week six, number 17 versus number 19, two undefeated powerhouses, TCU <laughs> at Kansas, the four and O horn frogs take on the five and O Jayhawks. Um, and game day is going to be there, right? 
Yeah, and we've got we've got two of the best quarterbacks in the country, collegiately speaking. Yeah, in terms um, of passer rating. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, Max and, Dugan, who I mentioned, TCU's quarterback, they're four and zero. He leads all FCA, FBS passers in passer rating. And Daniels, who we've talked about a lot, seventh in the FBS in passer rating. And the two combined twenty two touchdowns between the two of them. I think eleven apiece, and only one interception. And that belongs to uh, Mr. Daniels. And so it's going to be really interesting. One, this is a fun game. Like, let's just start there. This is, it's always cool as hell when new, new blood's kind of in, the, in there. Um, have they declared what time this game is yet? Um, yeah, let me check on that. Um, but yeah, it's always fun to see. This game's going to be a noon Eastern time game. Okay. So early kickoff, so I can watch the beginning of it before I have to leave for and seven, unless seven there's hours a change, uh, yeah, unless there's a change to the schedule, it's going to be on Fox Sports One. So I'm anybody sure who's the, a cable haver, as yeah, uh, our I'm, buddy Sully says, will get uh, to see that one. I, I'm sure they'll probably flex that somewhere. But um, here's my thing: TCU comes in favored by seven. And they're minus 300 on the money line. So you'd have to bet 300. You put $300 on them winning to win $100. That's a huge, and and this is in Kansas. That's a huge level of disrespect, is it not? I think Kansas has them right where they want them, honestly. (laughs) I think this is, Kansas has been kind of, they they've been kind of playing as the underdog recently. Um, this is going to be another big upset for them if they can pull it off and if they can do it with game day there. The game last week that you know two weeks ago Kansas was kind of in a shootout and scoring a lot of points, and then last week they really gritted out a defensive, um, just one of those grinders against Iowa State and pulled out that win. So. I I would take, you know, I'm going to jump ahead and make my pick. I'm I'm taking Kansas at least to cover in this game. But I love what what TCU's been able to do. Obviously, they can score and run it up and down the field and Dugan is a real surprise to me because he's he has never played like this before. He's never played to this level. He didn't even win the starting job coming out of camp. But now he he won't give it up. And uh last week we saw him throw for 300 yards. He had a 67-yard run. He's a very good athlete, has 4-5 uh, speed. So you get two really exciting college quarterbacks and, and maybe two guys who are going to start making waves as far as pro prospects. We've already talked about Daniels in that regard. Maybe Dugan is, is making his move. Yeah, I'm going to take KU to cover as well. I don't know if they'll win straight up, but I, I I don't I think seven's a lot the way Daniels has been playing. I think I think this is an overreaction to a a blowout of a bad Oklahoma team. Because I mean, outside of that, their only their other win over SMU was, a, I guess, eight points. So you know, it'd be right on the on the cusp. But and then. Colorado fired their freaking coach already. Like <laughs> that that win doesn't count even. 
Like actually the Tarleton state wins more impressive at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least that's another Texas team. <laughs> um, number eight, Tennessee at LSU. And LSU Tennessee's- is actually ranked as well. I, I forgot to put that in there, but I think they are 24. They're always ranked somewhere, man. They, they're like, oh, they won a game. We got to put them back. They're 25th. My bad. So that's at a, another noon Eastern time game. And that one's going to be on ESPN. And and LSU's got their big win over Auburn the week before where they scratched one out, uh, 21-17. I mean, they've got that blowout. Nah, blowout's a strong word. They've got the impressive win over Mississippi State. But is it really impressive? Um, I mean, Mississippi State's 4-1 this year, so I guess – and they're ranked 23rd. Um, when you look at it, this is, again, another interesting line to me. You Now, you said it's at Tennessee? No, uh, no, this one's at LSU. And Tennessee's favorite on the road. Okay, that's what I want to make sure. So, yeah. It's, yeah, so it's down in Baton Rouge. Tough place to play, but like you said, it's not getting a huge amount of respect, so it's a noon kickoff game, which is different, right? When they play, when they play at at nine or late at Death Valley, uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and I mean, just to give our listeners an idea, we we usually only preview the games that are between two ranked teams on this uh, on this show, so we only had three to pick from this week, and two of them are early in the day. Which is is yeah a little unusual, but the big dogs, the the big uh, box office draws are all playing later in the day against uh, lesser opponents, probably opponents that some might have thought would be ranked at this point. But there's been a lot of shuffling at at uh, in the top twenty five as there always is this part of the year as this time of the year. Uh, Tennessee's coming off a bye week, so part and of that. I, and I'm really ex- I'm really excited to see their offense again. Um, you know, Hendon Hooker was lights out against Florida in that win. Um, you know, Tillman was hurt that game, didn't play. And and you still saw, you know, Brew McCoy, um, Jalen and Jalen Hyatt put up big numbers. Like, they're a fun team to watch. And then, you know, we've talked about, their their running game and what they've done so far this year and hooker obviously led the way but um you know they've got they've got just a fun offense man and lsu is kind of boring well i was gonna say hooker is a big part of that running game as well for tennessee um with lsu they start off the season with a loss and then they played Southern, which is FCS opponent. You mentioned the Mississippi State win, which was which looks good now in the rearview mirror because Mississippi State won last weekend against uh, A&M, right? Yeah. And then you have um, a win over New Mexico, which is a cakewalk. And then you have a win on the road at Auburn. So there's some respect there, but that's another place where they're talking about firing their head coach already. Uh, so this is the biggest test LSU has probably had all all season, I would say. Even 
with that uh, Florida State loss. I think Tennessee's probably a better team, a tougher opponent up and down the roster. And uh, you, you'd probably know more about this because uh, I have not, as I was researching for this show, I did not look at how, how long is Tillman set to be out? Is he going to miss this one as well? Uh, you know what? I honestly didn't check. I just saw that he had missed the last couple from uh, injury. Oh, so obviously that would make things a little tougher if he can't play. No, he he just had surgery. Yeah, so he's out. Yeah. What did he have surgery on? Well, they're always cagey. They're always cagey about college football injuries. So um, the last word on him is that he had surgery to speed up his recovery. So I doubt yeah, that's speeding, uh, speeding it up enough to play this weekend. Right. But uh, it does sound uh, like he'll be back this season. Yeah, he got hurt. Uh, he hurt his ankle, yeah. which, is always, which is always great. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be interesting because, like I said, McCoy and Hyatt have been playing well. LSU, they're kind of like... It's just a, a we. I think they follow their their quarterback in a lot of ways, like very nondescript in everything they're doing this year. Uh, you look at Jaden. <laughs> is that Jayden, a, is that a rip on him? Well, I mean, just he, you wouldn't know. Jaden Daniels is completing sixty eight percent of his passes, has nine hundred and fifteen yards and six touchdowns and no interceptions because like those are good numbers, but in five games you're like, well, that's like not doing a whole lot now he has three rushing touchdowns so he has nine touchdowns in five games he also but leads the team in rushing too yeah at 321 yards which is absurd for his size but i mean get it if you can right yeah. um and so it'll just be interesting to see because this just feels like one of those games where lsu is able to kind of hang around hang around hang around and and you're like how are they hanging around and then you look down and they're in it which has kind of been the story of their whole season um defensively bj ogilari is getting first round buzz and and deservedly so he's got three and a half sacks on the year uh four and a half tackles for loss he's you know he's one of those new kind of hybrid edge players that's built like the linebackers used to be built but they're so athletic that it doesn't matter they list him at 6'3 245 so you know he's not the he's not the 6'5 260 monsters that that we're used to but these these newer school edge players are are becoming pretty in vogue wouldn't you say yeah and and uh even you know we talked about will anderson at the outset of the year he was Around, listed around that size, a little bit taller than Ojolari's listed. Um, Ojolari's brother uh, played for Georgia and was drafted in the second round by the Giants. So, and, and he's having a good little yeah. run of it. So, you know, a good pass you know, rush family here, right? You know, NFL teams always like that. They um, do. And then the final game of the day. I mean, this who doesn't want who doesn't want Pac-12 after dark in primetime, right, man? Like, and, and quite frankly, it is a good game. I, I feel mean, like this is the headline game, and it's not even, in, it's it's in, it's at 3.30 in the afternoon. So, like, go out and have dinner and uh, have some, some drinks uh, Saturday night because all the really 
tight games against ranked teams, you're going to be over. Right. Um, and so you've got, you've got number, eight, uh, number 11, Utah. Back to number 11 after losing the opener to Florida. At number 18, UCLA. And say what you want. Chip Kelly's got this team hub- humming along, man. Bruins are 5-0. and Utah, of course, I mentioned that opening week loss to Florida. They haven't lost since then. They're 4-1. But the Bruins are 5-0. and And uh, you have a little offense-defense matchup here. You got uh, DTR, the quarterback for UCLA. Uh, Darian Thompson-Robinson. He, is, he has 11 touchdowns, one interception, three rushing touchdowns on the year. So he's been big for them. And the Utes headliner, to me anyway, is their cornerback, their star corner, Clark Phillips III, who had three picks in the game last weekend in a win over Oregon State. The thing about Phillips is he's little. He's only 5'10", 183. Is he, is he too small to be a day one guy? Because he's playing like a day one guy the last two seasons. Yeah, and he's I mean, he's just balling out and and we you know, you mentioned the offense defense matchup. It's gonna be really interesting because the Bruins have done it through the air and on the ground. I mean, um Zach Charbonnet we talked about a lot last year. We haven't talked about him near enough this year. He's averaging over six yards a carry. Um last week in their upset of, of undefeated Washington, he had hundred and twenty four yards and and a touchdown. He also had three receptions for 56 yards. So uh, 180 total yards on 25 touches. And like you said, DTR, like I know it's going to sound like I'm joking when I say this, but like it's clicked in his fifth year for him. Like all of a sudden he's playing at a super high level. Yeah. And he can beat you with the arm with his feet. And I mispronounced his first name so apologies it's dorian not darian so that was a slip of slip of the tongue on my part but um the other guy we got to mention for ucla is their pass rusher leatu latu who is second in the fbs with six sacks behind a guy that we're going to talk about on patreon when we do our mock this week two bucks a month for that show four bucks a month will get you the show and a couple articles a week as well uh so that's the weekly plug how much do you think washington misses uh latu by the way uh after losing to this ucla team and having to face him on the other side it probably a lot but you know washington was playing well before that that loss too so it's uh you know these guys the transfer portal has really opened things up and let guys get into situations where they're they're most comfortable and latu now is having a fantastic year as pass rusher. Yeah, and you know we talk we talked about uh, Ojolari's size, and that's just kind of what I was talking about with like Latu. He's more of your traditional size guy, right? Six four, two hundred and sixty five pounds. Like, right. It's it's crazy just how different these guys are. Um, and then we should probably mention <laughs> UCLA's leading receiver who. Um, I don't even know what to make of him as a draft prospect, but he's fifth year senior uh, transfer from Duke. And that's uh, Jake Bobo, who's got 21 receptions for 363 yards. So he's averaging over 17 yards a catch and three touchdowns. Um, He's, 
you know, in five games, he's on pace for just over a thousand yards. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch because they do a good job of, of spreading the ball around. They've got five guys with over 100 yards receiving, but, but Bobo's the only one with over 200 or 300 yards receiving. So like it, it, it is crazy. Um, this is, and obviously we're not saying their talent, but it's really reminiscent of those Chip Kelly, Oregon Ducks, where they just had, where they just were able to beat you from anywhere on the field at any time. Like it, it wasn't a guy uh, that they needed to rely on um, outside of obviously DTR who, you know, I mean, say what you will, but he is, uh, he's, finally living up he was a five-star wasn't he like one of the top guys in in that class it's uh funny he was he came from bishop gorman he he was the backup to uh tate martell the great tate martell uh the wildly hyped quarterback who went to ohio state and then about three other schools before he retired and and what's interesting is i mean you know dtr had that had that sophomore year where you you're like oh this dude's about to break out um you know 21 touchdowns 2700 yards and and you know as a as a 19 year old and then covid hit and it just he didn't have a bad covid year 12 and 4 and then last year he was just kind of like uh like I was talking about with Jaden Daniels right like you just you never really felt like they were good like they were never bad but they were just so underwhelming you know 2400 yards 21 touchdowns and six interceptions and you're just like oh yeah i forgot you know dtr was there and and then this year he's starting it looks like putting it all together but obviously he'll have a bunch of knocks (laughs) the leading one being one year of like real success the second one being in chip kelly's system and so it'll be interesting to see if he even is like a a viable draft guy outside of like late day three type of stuff. Because, I mean, if Brock Purdy gets drafted, I don't see any reason DTR can't get drafted, right? Probably not. But, I mean, with all these quarterbacks now, they're going to get into the real meat of their schedule. All, the, all these guys we've talked about that are off to hot starts, they're going to really get into the meat of their schedule now. So this is where it's, you're going to separate the wheat from the chaff. and. Uh, we'll see what, what how it shakes out because um, the top guys are leaving some room for other players to rise up the ranks. Got a hot take for us? Yeah, I'm sure you saw this because uh, it's it's your buddy. So we're going back to the well. Um, he he provided the hot take a couple weeks ago. Okay. When he when he uh, did his pro comparisons for okay. running backs, so Luca Sartorana. Uh, came back with his uh, current comps for the 2023 wide receiver prospects. So I'm gonna go from I'm gonna go from kind of bottom to topish, if if you will. Uh, At Perry, DJ Chark. I I mean, I feel like that's a that's a size based comparison, but you know, we'll At Perry, of course, is the Wake Forest, the big Wake Forest receiver. Yeah. Um, 
next on the list, Rakeem Jarrett is uh, DJ Moore. It's an interesting. It's a Big Ten, Big Ten crossover there. Yeah, an interesting one there. Um, let's Actually, go. Actually, they're both Maryland guys, right? Yeah, both. Yeah, another Maryland, Maryland to Maryland comp. Yeah, uh, let's go with um, Josh Downs, who we talked about a little earlier. Ty Hilton. Downs is going to run. F- uh, they say he does have sub four four speed, but Ty ran like a four three flat four three one. So, and those hundreds of a second do make a difference. Um, but yeah, okay. Um, we've got Marvin Mims, who we've talked about on the show quite a bit, uh, with Brandon Cooks. Another similar situation. Like we know Mims is fast, sub four four. Cooks was another four three flat four three one guy. The interesting thing there is, and I know you don't, you know, I'm sure statistically doesn't play into this for him. Mm-hmm. But Mims has never been as successful as uh, as Cooks was at Oregon State. No, we kind of thought Mims was going to have a big breakout year, and so far this year, it's not. It is not happening, but there's a lot going on with that Oklahoma program. But I noticed one one theme with these comps is everybody he's comping to is like a 4-3 flat guy because DJ Chark was as well. And uh, I think DJ Moore was not quite that fast, but all he's he's telling you that he thinks all these college guys are very, very fast. The next guy... Is uh, I'm trying to pick which one next. All right, we'll go with uh, Quentin Johnston. I, I would love to get your your guess on this one. Auden Tate. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sorry, like um, Mac Collins. He went way, way back, way, way back to find this one, and uh, did our favorite thing where he picks a. Uh, Pro Bowl, All Pro player. Uh, he went with Herman Moore. Oh wow! F- former Detroit Lions great. That's a um, blast from the past. He's yeah. a coach somewhere now, I think. Um, of course, Moore was a top ten pick in 1991. Yeah, uh, from Virginia. Quint- yeah, Quentin Johnston wouldn't be born. Oh, Luca, the- he's he's way too young to have seen Herman Moore at Virginia. Not like me. Yeah, <laughs> and and. Quentin Johnston was born a decade later, so we'll see. Um, let's go with uh, Kayshawn Boutte. What are what are your what's your guess on this one? Okay, Kayshawn. Um, let's uh, Marvin Jones. No, we're gonna go uh, LSU to LSU here. Okay, Jamar Chase. Odell Beckham. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's, I don't see I mean, that at all. I mean, I guess size wise they're similar, right? Uh, yeah, shoot, yeah. I mean Boutte. I just had he hasn't done anything since freshman year. Um, I, mean, I guess the few games before he got hurt last year, but that's a tough one to make. I think of all the ones, even Herman Moore one, which I, I honestly couldn't I was I was a young lad when uh, Herman Moore was playing in the pros, so I I tell you what, 
he stacks up to him. I, I do imagine you know, he's watched some uh, old Hearn Moore clips and to make that comparison, but uh, this one's uh, the Butte to Beckham one is the loftiest one, I think, to me. So I don't. I don't mind the Jordan Addison one um, in, in Devonte Smith. I mean, I think you and I have talked about that on this, uh, this show. Um, Jordan Addison's know. faster than Devonte Smith and he is heavier. I yeah. guarantee on both of those accounts. This 100%, is my, f- he will test and weigh in. This and is Devante my favorite didn't. one because I know how irritated it's going to make you. Um, <laughs> uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Who who are you thinking on this one? Uh, if it's going to irritate me, it's probably someone like uh, someone that stinks, right? I mean, or is it going to be like Rashad Bateman? <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't be that bad. Um, no, I mean, Bateman's been pretty good. Bateman's been pretty good. It, he's got uh, Robert Woods. Yeah, that one. <laughs> it's like the one low ball I threw for the Ohio State guy. Uh yeah. No, actually, I don't. I don't have a huge. These are not as hot as the running backs. These are not <laughs> as hot as the running backs. But it it is though Smith and Jigba, who's the most, um, and Addison, who are the most accomplished of this group of receivers, probably got the like meekest comps. Which is the ironic part, right? Right. I, that that's actually why I I did it because it's interesting to go with Quentin like, Johnston's done nothing, uh, relatively to this uh, to a lot of the rest of this group, and he gets a Herman Moore comparison. Who, like you said, went tenth overall, and then uh, the two probably the two best of the bunch get the kind of and, and it's not Robert Woods is a good player, right? And Devonte Smith has had. Some he he's off to a pretty good start too, but I just I do find that kind of odd. Anything else before we get out of here? No, but thanks uh, to Luca for throwing those out there because it is always fun to talk about those kind of comps and and we'll know more about these players when they get into uh, the pre-draft testing and that's when I'll run my numbers and kind of kind of try and come up with my metric comps and see if any of those guys pop up. But again, I, I think. Uh, Addison's going to surprise people with how fast he is. And he's going to be a little bigger coming out than he's the listed 175. I think he's going to, um, he'll be in the range of those Buckeye receivers who are in the like low to mid 180s, but they're going to, he's going to be another fast one. And people are selling him short as we talked about at the top of the show. Yep. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And we'll be back later this week with our first way too early mock draft of the 2023 season on patreon so make sure you subscribe have a good night everybody we need to do an outro at some point that just something kind of what i hear in other shows is where they're like uh you know uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2 a month for our bonus episodes, $4 a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right there. A read, yeah. That's it. Exactly.